Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 171, Writing from the Middle, an interview with James Scott Bell, coming to you on Thursday, December 26, 2019. As I mentioned last week, I am going to be playing an encore episode today and next Thursday. So it's an interview from um, most of them, I think, are going to be from the near the beginning of the podcast when I say most of them. This is only the second time I've done an encore. The first one that I did was a few weeks ago when I was so sick with bronchitis that I couldn't even speak at all. Uh, so this is only the second encore. This is actually episode 14 that's from January 2018, so almost two years ago. Unless you've been listening all the way through, you might not have heard this episode, and it's one of my favorites, which is why it's today's Encore episode. I wanted to also wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy Boxing Day, if you're listening to this on Boxing Day. Probably most of you are actually listening to this at some point in the future, in which case, I hope you had a very happy holiday of whatever kind of holiday you're celebrating. I hope that um, the weather has been kind and your uh, waistline has not gotten exceedingly beyond what your uh, what your genes can handle. <laughs> I have been eating so many delicious Christmas desserts. It's been fabulous. But um, my husband and I have also been going to the gym because we're like, well, you know what? We need to keep up with how much we've been eating. <laughs> so I hope that you are having that kind of a very fun holiday. I am, after I finish this episode, going to go play uh, video games with my husband, which will be very fun. We haven't done this. We haven't done it this way ever. And we haven't played together in a long time because there aren't that many games that you can play together sitting on the same couch with two controllers. Most of them you have to be at two different consoles, two different TVs, which makes me a little crazy. But anyway, so we figured out a way to play together and that's what we'll be doing soon. That's pretty much what my week is probably going to be about. Reading, uh, playing video games, watching movies and TV shows. We just finished watching the three-episode A Christmas Carol that's on HBO. At least it's on HBO Nordic here in Sweden. I don't know if it's someplace else, but um, really, really interesting. Guy Pierce as uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, great cast. People that you're like, wait, I know that person. I know that person. And um, a very interesting take that I actually thought, this sounds a little bit more realistic to what I would expect for someone that horrible. How in the world could you change somebody without it being a musical? <laughs> anyway, that was super fun. If you haven't seen it and you're like, oh, I need something to watch. Uh, yeah, give that one a try. Uh, boy, I could sit here and tell you all the great Netflix shows that I've been watching in the last week or two. And uh, that could be an episode in itself because we've been watching some really, really good stuff. His Dark Materials. We just finished the last episode of that. And uh, Watchmen, we watched the whole first season of that. Also, both of them really interesting, really fun to watch. So, but um, you might be wondering, why are we talking about TV when this is a writing podcast? Because I get a lot of inspiration and ideas um, with any kind of story. So um, even though my husband finds it crazy making that I like country music because he really hates it. One of the things that I like about it so much is that country music um, so very often has some sort of story that the song's telling. Um, 
Garth Brooks has a lot. Rascal Flatts have a lot. There's a whole bunch of songs where I'm like, oh my gosh, this entire song is a story and I love it. I love TV shows and movies because they're stories. Um, I'm actually reading my book, Love at the Fluff and Fold, so I can get back into the storyline and write the second book starting in January. Yay! So, um, so I find any kind of story inhalation <laughs> to be, uh, just very inspiring and it makes me happy and it definitely helps me. I think it helps me to um, come up with more interesting new ideas. Also, I was watching It's a Wonderful Life at six o'clock this morning because I woke up at 3.30 this morning, who knows why, and I couldn't go back to sleep. So I finally got up and threw in a load of laundry at 5.30 in the morning. I'm pretty sure I've never done that before. (laughs) And when I was watching It's a Wonderful Life, there were two references that I was like, wait, I wonder if the person who created this other thing like took it as a reference to It's a Wonderful Life. And then because I was tired, I forgot what the first one was. But it made me wonder if the Sesame Street people created Bert and Ernie based on Bert and Ernie and It's a Wonderful Life because I was just noticing a lot of similarities. Maybe it was because it was too early in the morning and my brain wasn't working or maybe it's because it was real. But these are all the fun things that I find about um, ingesting any kind of story. So I hope whatever you're doing, whether it's a video game, TV, movies, um, going to see Star Wars, woohoo! For me, that's happening in three days. Yeah, going with a whole bunch of friends and I'm very excited. Um, Anyway, in whatever way, Way that you're ingesting stories, I hope that it is helping you to feel like you're making your stories better. Now, this particular episode with James Scott Bell, who, by the way, is a fabulous writing teacher. He's written a lot of writing books as well, both with Writer's Digest and um, ones that he's published himself. And um, he and I have actually taught together and I've been a student in his classes before. So we have a lot of kind of interconnections. But um, he's going to be talking about writing from the middle, which I think is going to give you some really cool ideas if you haven't already started thinking this through. Like, where can I start besides the beginning? I got really hung up on a story that I just had to walk away from for a little while because for, oh, a month or six weeks... I was writing and then tried a new beginning and a new beginning and then thinking and trying to think through like what's the real beginning of this story and I just couldn't do it and I got to the point where I was thinking you know what I'm just going to start with a scene where I do know what happens because <laughs> um, I, I just couldn't figure out how, how the beginning was supposed to go. So listen to Jim. I'm sure it will give you some great ideas. Next week, I will also be back live to give you the intro, but for another Encore episode. That's an episode that is played sometime in the last two years. And then we'll be um, back on track uh, after that for, let's see, I think the first totally new episode of the uh, new year 2020, happy new year to you almost, <laughs> um, is the Encouraging Words episode that comes out the first Sunday in January. And then we'll have uh, new interviews and stuff after that. Lots of cool people coming up. All right. So that you can get back to your holiday eating or whatever you're doing, me eating and playing video games. And then when I get tired of the video game, I'm going to read and then my, maybe nap and then maybe have dinner and eat some more. <laughs> I am giving you over to Jim, and I hope that you enjoy the interview and have a very happy new year. I will talk to you again next week.
I just wanted to say a quick thing. If this is a podcast that you are finding fun and interesting, I would love it if you would tell your friends about it. It's still new. We're working on our first month now. Yay. And uh, if you would like to leave a review on iTunes, it would be incredibly appreciated. And just letting your friends know, um, if you are listening to this on a podcast app on your phone, you can hit the subscribe button and you can listen to all of the different Uh, episodes that come out. And just a reminder, if you only like some of the things, the interviews are always done on Thursdays. The teaching episodes that have something to do with your writing and your writing life are always on Tuesdays. And the encouraging words episodes are always on Sundays. So if there's one thing you like more than another, just a reminder of where you can find it. All right, and let's get on with the interview. Hello, everyone. Today's guest is author James Scott Bell, a former trial lawyer. He studied writing with Raymond Carver at University of California, Santa Barbara. He has won both the Christie Award and the International Thriller Writers Award. In addition to dozens of novels under his own name and the pen name Kay Bennett, he also writes books on the craft of writing. Welcome, Jim. Well, it's nice to see you, Kitty. It's nice to see you. It's always good to see you. We have run into each other at more writers' conferences than we could count. It's been great over the years. Always fun. Yeah. And I have to say, you are one of my writing teachers, so I'm thrilled that you uh, agreed to be on the uh, podcast with us today. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Yay. Well, listen, today uh, I figured that we would talk about your book, Write Your Novel from the Middle. That is just such a great title. And I think it makes people go, what? How could I do that? So tell us, how did you get started on that idea? Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I'm a structure guy. I, when I was learning how to write, um, I was studying the craft. I started as a, a screenwriter, wanting to learn the craft of screenwriting. And that really taught me structure. Uh, the three-act structure, why it works, how it works, all the intricacies of that. And it really uh, crosses right over into fiction writing so well. Right. And that's, that's what I've taught over the years. And then I wrote a book called Plot and Structure for Writer's Digest, which has all of these principles in it. That's another well, great book. I love that one. It, it's, it's, uh, it's done so well over the years. I'm very happy about that because I wanted to write something that was practical because that's what I needed when I started. Right. In any event... Uh, I never really found that the so-called midpoint, which many writing teachers talk about, to be to be to have a solid definition. There was contradictory advice on what it did, and it sounded a little odd sometimes, a little too esoteric. And I always felt like if you're writing that middle portion with you know rising action and conflict, you're just naturally going to hit the midpoint and it'll be the right place and you can go on from there. So a few years ago, I thought, well, I'm going to take another look at it. And the way I, I decided to do it was the way I first learned structure was I, I, I would watch movies and time them and look for the, the beats in the proper places and then ask myself, how did that work? Why did that work? So I decided to do that with this midpoint. And uh, the first, my go-to film for everything is Casablanca. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, everybody knows Casablanca. So I, um, what I did was I put the DVD in and I used the timer to find the exact middle of the film. And I started to, you know, look around and right dead center of that film is the scene where 
Uh, he's drinking in the bar after he's had the, the flashback about Paris. He's drinking. It's, it's after hours. He's getting drunk. And Ilsa, who has come back into Casablanca, comes to visit him there to try to explain why she had dumped him in Paris. And he ends up just insulting her. He, he's, he accuses her of being a whore. He, you know, all, terrible, terrible. It was terrible, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so she, you know, tear comes down her face. She knows, she looks at this guy. This is not the guy I was in love with. And so she walks out. And just then he just has this look of self-loathing. And he puts his head down on the table. And I thought, well, that's an interesting moment. And that's when it, it began to occur to me that maybe what happens in the middle is, is a special kind of moment. Not, not necessarily, it can be any kind of scene, but there's a moment. And so um, I decided to look at another one of my go-to movies, <laughs> which is The Fugitive. Oh, that's so good. I love it's, that one. It's great. It's, it's a perfect, perfectly structured film, uh, almost exactly two hours, so you can look at the beats and so on. Well, in the middle of that, in the exact middle of that movie, Harrison Ford, as Dr. Kimball, has an, the exact similar kind of look on his face, only it's, it's a look of fear, and he almost breaks down. What had happened is that in the middle of, of that film, he's hiding out in a basement in Chicago, and he's trying to sneak into the hospital to get prosthetics records to find the one-armed man, et cetera, et cetera, and this, his SWAT team swarms this place, and you think they're after him. He thinks they're after him, too, and then it turns out that they're there to arrest the, the son of the landlady who is a drug dealer. Okay. So he has broken down. I thought, well, that's interesting. That's another moment. Bottom line is, um, after I looked at a couple other films and then I, I started to look at books. I looked at uh, Hunger Games. I looked at Gone with the Wind. You know, I just opened up to the middle. What I found was, this was, and this was astonishing to me and really exciting, is that there's a moment in the middle of these books where the, the character is forced to look either metaphorically and sometimes literally in a mirror, look at, look at himself yeah. and ask, am I really this way? Is this the kind of person I am? Who am I? What must I be? What, you know, that's what Rick is essentially asking himself in Casablanca. Am I this horrible person? What, what's, you know, will I remain this way? Those kinds of things. Forced to yeah. look at themselves, you know, look at the darkness of their character or, the, or whatever's wrong with them. That's one kind of look in the mirror. And then the other kind, which is what um, The Fugitive was like, because Richard Kimball in The Fugitive doesn't fundamentally change. He's still the same decent guy. Right. But, he, but what he sees in the middle is that I'm going to die. There's no way I can win. There's, the odds are way uh, too much against me. And it's the same with Katniss in The Hunger Games. In the exact middle of The Hunger Games, she has a, a moment at the end of a chapter where she says, I look at the ground and I think this is, this is a, a pretty good place to die. And then the rest of the book is, will she find the strength and resiliency to survive? Right. So bottom line is, that as I tested that theory over many books and many films, I found it to, to hold um, true that in, in films that were really working or books that were really working, there's this moment when the character has to take stock and either say, 
I've got to change or I've got to grow stronger to survive. And then what I did was I started using it in my own writing. I, mm -hmm. I started, when, you know, my usual process was to kind of build an idea, develop it, and then put out the structural beats. I started to go right to that midpoint and think, what, what is my story about? Is it about somebody who's got to face a, an interior issue and grow, or is it about somebody who's got to get stronger and grow? And as I did that, as I brainstormed that midpoint moment, it kind of illuminated the whole story for me. It's like, wow, now I know where I'm headed, even without having to know in detail an outline. So I proposed this as a, a theory for both people who love to plot and people who like to write by the seat of the pants. That if you get to a point in your, either your planning or your writing, and you wanna know what's going on, you get to that midpoint and you brainstorm it and you think about it and pretty soon, you know what, you'll, you'll land on something that feels right. And then that illuminates the whole book. And that, Kitty, in short, is what <laughs> my theory is about. I like it, I really like it. Now, um, there's two things that, that you brought up that I kinda wanna, get a little bit more of your opinion on. Um, one thing is, do you find that you are using this technique when you are um, first getting the idea together before you've done the first draft? Or is this a second draft thing that you go back and figure out what your story is about and then realize this is what I need to figure out? Or does it depend on the book? Well, the, the nice thing about this, and I've heard from you know, hundreds of people who have used it, it, it can be used at any point in the writing process. Wow. If you are someone who loves to just kind of pants your way through a first draft and discover things, that's fine. There will come a time eventually when you've got to say to yourself, you know, what, I, what have I got here? <laughs> what am I really writing about? What uh, Pantsers will say, you know, what is the book tr that's trying to emerge from my subconscious? What is it? Well, you know, where's it headed? And if you reach a point like that and just sit down and say, well, I'm going to go to that midpoint moment now. I know my character. I, I kind of know what, where they're headed. I'm going to brainstorm that, that mirror, look in the mirror moment. It all of a sudden brings that book into focus. On the other hand, if, and, and I'm more this way, I like to set up certain parameters when I'm starting up before I start writing a project. So I'll do, I'll do some character development, some plot development, and then I'll start laying out my structural signposts and so on. I may even write the first chapter or two. I, I kind of always like to do that to just kind of jumpstart my, my mind uh, on the book. But then I will now go to that midpoint moment and, and put something down. It, it might be tentative. It might be something that I'll change. But almost always it gives me a solid feeling of where I'm headed yeah. and it, it enables me to write more organic scenes that have meaning for the whole book. If, if you follow. So anyway, yeah. that's, uh, I'm more of using it in the planning stage, but you can use it anytime you could write a first draft and use it upon, when you revise. That's what's kind of powerful about this technique. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, so right this second, I'm staying with a friend. Um, my husband works in the film industry. We're in between projects. And um, there's been a lot of building since the last time that I was staying with this friend. And I thought, well, I know where Target is. 
I'm just going to go. It's, you take this road, it says, it says on Google Maps that you go straight through. That's great. So that must be new. It turns out it goes straight through if you count two tracks, dirt roads, and things that look overgrown, and you don't care where you drive. That is not really the way that I like to do my riding or my driving. <laughs> Technically, it did go straight through. Right. I did not come that way on the way home. <laughs> so this sounds like a, a good way that you could um, figure out where you're going or look back and see where you've been and figure out, um, like you said, that some, some people like to figure out what story has now come out of them after they've finished writing mm -hmm. the first draft. Right. And I, I like to think in terms of when people ask about out, you know outlining and how extensive it is, I'm not an extensive outliner of the whole book. I, I don't uh, do long summaries of every chapter before I write, but I do believe in solid structure. And I, 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 I like have 14 beats of, of structure that I like to think about when I'm writing. And I, I in, um, liken those to signposts on a, on a dark highway at night, right? Yeah. If you know what the next signpost is, you can, you can aim your car in that direction. And then when you get to that signpost, you can look beyond and see the next one. And what's in between is something that you can, you can improvise or you can be a little loose with as you plan it, but you know where you're going. And I, I feel like the, um, the midpoint moment, the mirror moment, as I uh, like to call it, is like the, the, the signpost at the top of the hill. It's like the, the place where you can, you can look down behind you and see where you've come from, and you can look ahead and see where you're going. And, it's, and it also has a nice big lighthouse that lights everything up for you. So Nice. <laughs> now, um, the way that you use mirror, I mean, when you look in the mirror, for the most part, you see yourself unless you're looking somewhere else in the mirror, you know, to the side or behind you or whatever. So would you say that the most powerful midpoint, the way that you're talking about it, the character truly realizes something about themselves, not just sort of in the back of their head thinking, I don't know, maybe this isn't working. Like it needs to be more powerful than that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the point where they look at, it's like, you know, people say to some uh, dastardly person, how can you look at yourself in the mirror every morning? You know? Right. And uh, it's, it's, it's like, uh, metaphorically, it's like if someone, and, and sometimes this is, there's a scene in a book where another character does that, where you're confronted with who you really are at that point in the story. You're confronted with it, and you have to deal with it, and you have to wonder if, you know, you're, there's a, there can be self-loathing, which is what happens with Rick, or there can just be this realization of this is who I am and will I, will I stay this way? All of those kinds of thoughts. And what's funny is that as I was working on this, um, I started to see these moments happening all over the place in, in movies. And, and a lot of times with literal mirrors. There's wow. a funny story. My, my wife and I, uh, she wanted to see um, a thriller. This was a few years ago. She wanted to see um, No Way Out, the old Kevin Costner movie. Really good thriller. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. So we get the DVD and we pop it in and we're watching the movie and we're enjoying it. And all of a sudden there's this scene and I stop, I pause the, the DVD and I look at the timer and we're right in the middle. And <laughs> 
And Cindy looks at me, she goes, uh, what are you doing? And I said, you are about to see what a genius your husband is. <laughs> and, and she, you know, she rolled her eyes as she was wont to do at those moments, which okay. I, I need. Anyway, I said, I said, this scene, something's going to happen that's going to be like that, like the mirror moment I've been telling you about. So I started up again, and lo and behold, the very next scene, Costner, who has just learned this information that turns everything on its head, stumbles into a bathroom and looks in the mirror right at himself. <laughs> and he's thinking, oh man, how am I ever going to get out of this? And I, that's it. That's it. <laughs> it. It's really a powerful thing because what it does is it takes the book that you're writing from a plot narrative, which is fine. Uh, I mean, I'm a plot guy, but yeah. it elevates it to what the book should be about, the character within the plot and how they are affected by it. Right, right. Well, that leads to the other question I have. So you have a series that... Um, that are a little bit more about the character and you have a lot of series that are more about all the action and plot. And some of them have the same lead character throughout the series. So I know one of the, um, one of the difficulties in having the exact same character through multiple books is that it's hard to find a way for them to grow versus having a series where maybe it's the location that makes it the series and you have different characters and you can have big growth experiences in every book because it's with different characters. So when you're working on a series, like say, you know how much I love, is it um, Mallory Kane? Is that her name? The zombie yeah. lawyer? Yeah. I adore her. I absolutely love her. I can't decide if I like uh, her the best or the nuns in Force of Habit. Is that yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. I just, I love your comedies. I just love them. I don't know. I guess they're probably not comedies exactly. But so, so what do you do with a character who's like, a zombie lawyer. I mean, she's always going to have to eat brains or die. Yeah. And on the other hand, she's supposed to be upholding the law and she's going to be through multiple books. So how does she have a mirror moment in every book? Yeah. Well, you know, her, the, the arc of that trilogy is that she's trying to find a, a way back to her humanity, which was taken from her. And so there's, there's an arc to those three books in that regard. And, and then she realizes that she's facing all the forces of hell in order to stop her. And it, it, this is a great question for, for the mirror moment. And admittedly, it's a little, you know, I, as I've been writing series before I kind of formulated this theory to look back and see how, it you know, I, I've actually found it, it, these mirror moments in my books right. kind of by accident. And right. what, what I'm, and, and of course, these authors who have done this well and these movie makers, I'm, I'm not sure how consciously they think about it, although I yeah. do think a lot of them think about midpoints and so on. But if, if you're a naturally, natural storyteller and you're telling the story in the right way, all, it, it can almost happen sort of by itself if you're doing it right. And all I wanted to do was sort of pop the hood on yeah. why it works and then give those tools to writers. Now, as far as series go and how characters can change. Um, well, you, know, you said a, one of the things is they have to have enough strength to get through the rest of the problem. So that's true. one thing, right? And that's, that's one kind of, of uh, transformation is that they become stronger. Not necessarily, they don't, 
a character doesn't have to fundamentally change. See, in the mirror moment where they're looking at themselves and they're disgusted and they, they, have, to, they have to view their character and, and their flaws, <clears throat> by the end of the book, they have to become a new, a new person in essence. Yeah. Or if they don't, which sometimes happens, then it becomes a tragedy. They don't, they don't change. Right. Um, but in a thriller like The Fugitive or The Hunger Games, it's, it's really a mirror moment about facing death and they must become stronger. They don't become fundamentally uh, a, a different person. Richard Kimball is the same decent guy. Now, speaking of tr trilogies and arcs, there is, a, there is an arc in, in the first Hunger Games. It's obviously, in, really in all three, it's really about life and death, isn't it? It's facing yeah. the death uh, games and so on. But there is a transformational Katniss arc in the whole series. And what I found fascinating was that in the middle of the second book, which is <laughs> the middle of the whole series, yeah. that is reiterated. And what it is, and uh, you know, spoiler alert if people want to read the, the trilogy, but in the first book, in the very beginning, she talks about never wanting to bring children into this world because it's, right. you know, it's a horrible world and, and she would never contemplate that. And then, and she, she has that dilemma in the middle and then at the end of the series, what's happened? She has children. She's married Pita and they have children and she has therefore grown into someone who does have hope and who does have resilience and who does have the courage to face and so on. Yeah. So, we, and here's, so here's what I'm saying. I'm currently writing a series about a guy named Mike Romeo. It's a. Oh, a right. Thriller. This is the one that you won the big international thriller, thriller the, writers yeah, the, award. Se, the second book, uh, Romeo's Way, won that award, which Congratulations. was at the high point of my career. Anyway, <laughs> um, naturally. So I went into those books consciously thinking about an inner transformation that has to take place in each book, uh, uh -huh. in the first three books, that deals with a certain part of his character that's wounded. Yeah. Now, the inspiration for this, that kind of thing is, um, you know, one of my all-time favorite writers is Michael Connolly, who does the Harry Bosch books and uh -huh. has started a couple new series. And, you know, what he's managed to do is take on all those Bosch books, I don't know how many there are, 15, 20, <laughs> he, he finds a personal growth issue for Harry in each of those that's either a, a, a variation on, on a theme or a new part of himself, like when he discovers he has a child, and it makes those books powerful. And so I think you can do that. Um, and then there are, there are some books in the Bosch series where he just makes it all about the plot and all about, you know, solving the case and so on, which is kind of a, a great rhythm for the books. So, yeah, uh, I did do some more planning with this mirror moment idea on the new series, because again, it, it, it illuminates for me what I'm right, why I'm writing the books. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this has got me all excited because now I'm thinking about my superhero series where I have one main character through all of the books. I have some side stories, you know, with some of the um, some of the other characters. But um, 
it's funny because like you said, like in my mind, I know what kind of horrible things she's going to have to deal with in each of the five books until we get to the end and presumably the good guys will win. And um, let's hope so. Yeah. But now I'm like, oh, this is exciting because even though like I have it in my head that I know it will happen in the next four books, like this is exciting that I can like put it down on paper and ask myself, how can I make it better? I love, I love trying to find ways to use um, tools where I can make my writing better, but not change the way I write, mm-hmm. which is what I did, you know, in the beginning when I was learning to write, I changed the way I wrote, depending on who was the teacher teaching me. <laughs> their right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's very exciting. And I'm thinking too, um, I'm just trying to think of, you know, what um, listeners might be reading. Um, the uh, Jim Butcher Dresden Files series. Yeah my all-time favorite series. Fantastic. Oh, I love it. And I'm thinking about what you said with that too. And I've heard Jim speak and have, um, and tell us that there are moments when he was told this will be the last book. And so, <clears throat> spoiler alert, mm-hmm. at the end of a book that he thought was his last contracted book in that series, he kills him. And then they're like, you know, this is really selling really well. Like, yeah. I just killed him. <laughs> and so the next book is actually amazing. I mean, he must have really had to sit down and think that through. Yes, that was a nice challenge, wasn't it? Yeah. But, you know, every single book, there's some other new different thing. Maybe it's a relationship with yes. a father figure or this old girlfriend that he wanted to marry or he finds out he has a kid. Yeah. Every yeah, that's... Time. Uh, he's like the Michael Connolly of the the supernatural in that in that sense. He really is, yeah. and he does find that extra added emotional connection. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just trying to think, you know, for listeners maybe who read a lot of like romance or something. Um, see, I'm so used to romance series that they're actually different characters, but it's all the same town or the same family or something mm. like that. But uh, I guess people really just need to go through books that they really like that are some of their favorites would you say that that's a a good way to do it oh yeah absolutely and and film is really classic films are really a good learning tool because you know you can time them and you can look for place here's for romance people um they, uh, I, i was watching uh a great betty davis classic called now voyager now, now Voyager is, um, it was made in the early 40s, and it is a, a romance that takes place, uh, I won't give you the whole plot, but basically it's a romance that takes place on a, on a cruise. Okay. And there is this, Betty Davis plays a, a woman who's been under the thumb of her um, matriarchal New England uh, mother who is just a, a terror and has tried to, you know, squelch her all her life and tell her she's not attractive and she, she's not accomplished and she shouldn't go out and, you know, just psychologically abusing her. Yeah. And there's just, so this great moment in the middle where Betty Davis, who's starting to come out into, you know, her, her own realization as a, as a woman has to confront her mother. And it's, what it is, it's one of those things where she's facing kind of psychological death here is that if her mother wins, you know, she's going to go back to being just the way she was. So for those who are, uh, you know, character driven in their, in their fiction um, or, you know, prefer romance, whatever, that would be a good movie to study because it, it, it has all of those elements that I've been uh, talking about. 
Interesting. Okay. I haven't heard of that one, but now I'm going to go look it up. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I love how almost all the examples that I read in, in uh, your writing books are always from like stuff from before I was born, <laughs> before you were born. That's when all the good stuff was made. <laughs> I mean, I say that uh, only half uh, uh, lightly because I really, the, the early films and screenwriters just new storytelling so well and they they hit their marks and there's a depth to those films that is sometimes lacking i mean uh i won't go into all of that but uh it's just fantastic of course there are really great films i i went to film school in the 70s and i you know that decade was fantastic so yeah a lot of good films to look to look at but the classics really do teach the fundamentals and then you can take those fundamentals and apply them however you wish. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of applications, so you have so many writing books. I've read most of them. Um, not all of them because you have a new one as well. And um, I'm just thinking, so for people who aren't familiar with your writing books yet, um, all of them are good. I, I like them, not just because I like you. I mean, you're genuinely a good teacher, a really good teacher, and you help Thank people you. to have a practical, this is what you should go down and do in your writing. So <clears throat> if you were talking to somebody who hasn't read any of your writing books, which one would you suggest they start with? Or does it matter where they are in their writing career? Or how would you suggest people look into your books? Well, if, if someone is just starting out on this journey, uh, I think Plot and Structure, which is published by Writer's Digest Books, is the, the, the first one I wrote for the general market. And it was the one where I put in all the things that I had to learn in order to become a published writer. And um, I, I, like you said, I wanted to make it very practical. So it is very, and it's got exercises in it. It's got things you can do. And, it, it's really sort of the, the fundamental basis for everything that I teach. So if somebody's new, I would suggest that. And if somebody has been around for a while and they've, um, you know, they just are looking to, to study another aspect of the craft, then uh, yeah, I think write your novel from the middle. And uh, another little book I wrote called Super Structure would, oh. be, would be two because those give, you know, practical hands-on tools as I've been describing in this podcast and, you know, also understanding the, the, the scope of structure uh, for, for a whole book. And it doesn't impose, some writers get nervous when they hear about structure because, you know, I, I just want to be free and creative and go, go for it and so on. And, you know, I always say to that, you know, um, when someone cooks an omelet, you don't want them to be using watermelon. <laughs> you don't want them, you know, it, it, there's a, there's a certain basis for an omelet and you've got to have heat. You've got to have a little uh, fat in the pan. You've got to have eggs. And that's kind of the formula for an omelet. But what makes that omelet unique? It would be the blend of spices that you put in. So I say, look, structure is what gives a familiar uh, pattern to a story so that a reader can relate to it. Then you yes. are free then to do your own spices within that. That's yeah. where voice comes from and characterization and dialogue and all of those things. So um, don't, don't be afraid to explore structure because it's not 
constricting in my mind what it does is it actually frees your story to be to be uh, uh, accessible to, to readers and that's really who you're writing for you can be an experimental novelist if you like and you know I've, I enjoy experimental novels and so do the five other people who buy them <laughs> yeah but, you know that's a that's a choice you've got to make anyway yeah Excellent. Wow, that's great. Thank you so much. And I need to go um, buy the new one. Um, how is it How to Write Pulp Fiction? It is How to Write Pulp Fiction. It's a book that I wrote because I, I love the old pulp writers. I love how they were, they got down to business because they had to make money, how to tell a story, how to grab a reader, how to make it exciting. And, you know, they, but then they were also able, there were writers in that genre, in that world who were also great stylists who elevated the, the, the their stories. These are the ones like Raymond Chandler and yeah. John D. McDonald, who we remember. So, uh, but it was, it's to encourage writers to, to be prolific and to tell stories and to know what the, the basics are and then uh, move on from there however they wish. I love it. That's awesome. Okay, Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great. Oh, it's been fun for me. And, uh, um, where can people find you on the internet or where? Well, uh, my website is www.jamesscottbell.com. Um, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at James Scott Bell. Uh, awesome. I also am part of a group blog. Uh, it's called Kill Zone Blog. Kill Zone Blog. <laughs> And uh, we have a group of great thriller and mystery writers. I blog every Sunday and it's usually something writing craft related. And there's a great archive at that site. I mean, that, that site alone, if you go through the archives, will give you a huge education in the craft of fiction. So nice. I encourage people to check it out. Excellent. And that's killzoneblog.com. Correct. Awesome. And your books are available at all major online retailers? They are. And uh, the, if you like your writing books in print, uh, you can get at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, or you could even have a local bookstore order them. Excellent. Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Jim. Maybe we can bring you back again and talk about one of your other favorite writing topics. Fantastic. Thanks, Kitty. Thanks. Thanks.